0: Are you interested in cracking the customer code?
1: You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business.
0: I'm Jeannie Walters. And
1: I'm Adam Teporek.
0: Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it. And a few who don't. And together, we'll crack the customer code.
1: Welcome to episode 32 of Crack the Customer Code. What do we have going on today, Jeannie?
0: Well, Adam, we're asking the question, are customer relationships more important than brands in acquisitions?
1: Ooh, sounds very deep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we also have Luis Serpa, who Jeannie, and I'm going to be very clear, this is Jeannie saying this, (laughs) describes as both brilliant and scary as a user experience pro.
0: Those are apt descriptions, and you'll find out why. And we've got a customer zero story about, surprise, the cable industry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But first, a word from our sponsor.
0: Are you mapping your customers' journeys, but struggling with how to derive value from your maps? Touchpoint Dashboard is a powerful, yet easy to use, web-based journey mapping platform that was purpose-built to ensure that your journey maps meet your goals and become the catalyst for change that they were meant to be. To learn more, check out touchpointdashboard.com. That's touchpointdashboard.com.
1: And if you'd like to reach our listeners by being a show sponsor, you can go to crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor, crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor for full details.
0: So Adam, tell me about that article you were reading regarding how customers are actually more valuable than brands.
1: I would love to, but it would take flow charts
0: and <laughs> graphs. <laughs> we can't do that on a podcast. All right. So this is a little <laughs>
1: dense. We're going to try to make it audio-friendly here. So a couple guys uh, did a study. It was published in Harvard Business Review, and they did an interesting thing. They looked at mergers and acquisition transactions from 2003 to 2013. And they're looking at what's more important, customer relationships or the brand itself. Hmm. And the reason they use merger and acquisition data is because that's when you actually have to put a number to those things. That's when you have to value the brand and you have to value the customer relationships.
0: That's right. And what
1: they found is it's like an X. Okay, If you look at the decade-long, 2003 to 2013, it's like an X, meaning at the beginning of that period, brands were much more important than customer relationships. Mm -hmm. As you go through... It's completely, one's completely going down, the other's completely going up. Customer uh, relationships became much more important. And what's interesting in there is the middle of that period is the financial meltdown, essentially.
0: Huh, imagine that. (laughs) Imagine that.
1: So it's very interesting to see that, you know, you can really put a number on the importance, you know, people who are looking at acquiring businesses, looking at the value and return on their dollar, Mm -hmm. are looking at these things and going, you know what? These customer relationships, this ability to upsell, to retain To do all those things we always talk about are the benefits of a deep customer relationship is more important than Mm -hmm. the brand. Well, you think
0: about how different the world is. I mean, when we grew up, people would say, oh, I always buy Tide. And that was was like the reason.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was just,
0: we always have. My mom did. I do. That's our brand. And now people turn to peer reviews online and they go to resources that they didn't have before because we're all empowered. Um, to do that. But to go back to the merger and acquisition thing, it's interesting that you bring this up now because uh, not too long ago, I was actually retained by a consultant who was in the middle of uh, doing an acquisition. And basically what we did was examine the customer experience of the company that they were about to acquire. And he wanted to know like, okay, is this going to be worth it? Do they have things in place that are part of the culture, part of the process, part of the systems? to support an excellent customer experience, or is that just something that kind of happened organically? Because if not, we need to put it into a process, right? We need to figure out how to make it sustainable. And so I thought that was a really, I mean, it was a fascinating project because it, it allowed us to look at that from that standpoint of, okay, what does this mean for the company that's acquiring them? And how are we going to put these experiences together in a meaningful way for the customer as well?
1: Were you able to figure it out?
0: Of course, Adam, of course. <laughs> ye of
1: little, ye of little faith.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's, I, I think that the, the word brand even isn't as full of cachet as it used to be. I mean, people used to be obsessed about brands. And now I think we've learned that, yes, your brand promise is a huge part of customer experience because it sets the expectations, but that's not about just saying well we know we've always got them you know <laughs> we right. know that because their mom bought Tide they're they're going to be a customer for life it doesn't work that way anymore
1: right and it should be clear it's not saying that brands don't have value it's just that in this period of time customer relationships are mm-hmm. are being perceived as having more value because right if you ask me, would I like to own the Coca-Cola brand by myself? <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, that's true. Okay. I, I'll give you I, that.
1: I, 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 I would I would be okay with that.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Okay. All right,
1: cool. So we have a guest today. We do. Tell us about Luis Serpa.
0: So Luis and I actually worked together for quite a few years um, at another firm where I was one of the partners. And when we brought him in, he knew very little English, <laughs> and the reason I bring this up is because he was so brilliant as a user experience person and a, design, a developer and designer that it was kind of worth it to bring him in that way, but it led to some really funny conversations <laughs> because I learned all about how often I use idioms that <laughs> maybe somebody from Brazil wouldn't get right away. We had a fantastic working relationship, but he is one of the smartest people I've ever worked with, so I'm really happy that we are able to talk to him again now in his new role. Luis is Principal of Digital Experience IT Customer Solutions for Underwriter Laboratories. Luis is an award-winning user experience professional with 25 years of experience. He joined UL in 2009 with the challenge to establish, lead, and grow a user experience design practice within the Information Technology Division to help improve the perception, use, and acceptance of its solutions. And Luis believes that if you cannot make something simpler, then you surely do not understand it well enough. So welcome, Luis.
2: Thank you.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so good to have you, Luis. And I'm going to take the first question here because I think this is important. Okay. It's probably the most important thing we're going to talk about. What was it like to work with Jeannie? <laughs> ah.
2: <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I think I signed an NDA or anything.
0: <laughs> it was like the Oprah NDA.
2: Exactly. I'll the Fifth.
0: <laughs> okay, well, this is a
1: family friendly show, so we're probably not going to be able to use the adjectives you'd like to use to answer that question. Hey. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you a serious question. Uh, you, you work for Underwriters Laboratory, so. Tell us a little bit about what Underwriters Laboratory does, because I'm not sure everybody you know—everybody knows what the symbol is, I think, but not a lot of people know what you do. And then tell us, why do they need someone like you?
2: UL is a certification and verification company, or a testing certification and verification. What that really means is any product that you look around you, like six feet around you, has probably passed through some of UL labs uh uh We test pretty much everything from insulation uh computers phones uh, plugs walls uh, uh, carpets uh the air inside the office uh we test the water we can test food in some environment, we test toys we test pretty much anything hmm. and the thing is the the mission is to provide a safer world and it is a 120 years old company we actually you all started at the 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 global fair What was global fair what was called the, the, world, world, the world fair
0: the world fair, <laughs> the world fair. thank
2: you see
0: and just I knew like old it, times just like old <laughs>
2: times you keep translating me <laughs> it, it's so funny how you still get it so
0: quickly <laughs> <laughs> i speak Luis.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was what five years of uh, five years of uh, uh learning Louise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> but anyway, uh so yeah, so at the World Fair, uh we actually tested the light bulb. Mm-hmm. We actually tested Edison's invention at the World Fair. And at the time that was uh what was called uh the biggest invention but also the biggest risk uh because it was about could get everything on fire. Nobody knew <laughs> That's how a big to risk. control electricity. <laughs> you know, it was it was huge, and uh, so UL actually was created by by requirement for the underwriters at the time that wanted someone to actually work as a third party to test and certify that those technologies were safe. And since then, we've been testing absolutely. Everything. (laughs) So why
0: do they need you? Why do they need a user experience person?
2: Uh, I don't know. They do. (laughs) Well, well, the the, the reality is, uh, UL is, like I said, an 120 years old company. And that means that all of our systems, all of our uh, uh, interactions with users, customers, and consumers is, well, old. (laughs) Let me just put that way. Uh most of the company this is this is a very nice company. It's a company that really believes in its mission to save the world and make it a safer world. Mm-hmm. And we have fourteen thousand uh engineers all over the globe. So it's a company made of engineers. And engineers, if they do something well, is that they are great at over engineering solutions. That's true. And they like to solve problems. and They will solve problems like no one else, but they will also solve the problem for themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is a company that the IT was built out of engineers that move into IT, uh, that the marketing was made a long time ago by engineers that move into marketing. So it is an engineering company with an engineering mindset. And uh, up to 10 years ago, all of our systems and all of our interactions we're pretty much over-engineered. And, well, let's say we thought. (laughs) So I I was brought five years ago, first and foremost, by our CIO as a, a way to disseminate a new way of thinking, to help the company, first IT and then the entire company, to understand what it is that user experience could bring to the mix. What it is, the difference that it can make to actually understanding the psychology of the user, to understanding what uh, uh, someone's intent is, someone's perception is, and how that translates into their interaction. And how we can actually build and design for it and not just try to solve a problem by adding features one on top of the other into a website or any kind of application. Does that make
0: sense? I Well, it makes Enough sense from you. (laughs) Um, So when you're looking at things that, as you put it, are over-engineered, and I like that Mm -hmm. phrase, and (laughs) dare I say, I think I've seen you do that a few times, sir. Oh, imagine that.
2: I I, I refuse to agree with that.
0: (laughs) But, you know, when you're you're working in an environment like that, what mistakes are you seeing over and over, and what are you trying to solve over and over in it? in a, an environment that is so over-engineered?
2: It's funny. The, 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 first, the first things that I had to solve actually had nothing to do with user experience and had a lot to do with actually understanding what user experience was. Mm-hmm. So I had the challenge of trying to make everyone understand that user experience is not UI and it's not uh, interface design and mm-hmm. it's not just changing colors on the page. <laughs> so, getting people to actually understand that user experience starts at the beginning of a project and actually at the beginning of the research of a project, and not at the end when you have everything built, was actually probably two years. My first two years was all of, were all about uh, educating people, selling the idea, convincing, and and proving. With ROI and proving real projects, the difference that a user experience could make to the the results that were uh, expected and to the results that they were building. Now, aside from that, once you get past this initial, I'd say the biggest uh, mistakes that I see, the first one is the, the tendency that people have to assume that they understand the user. Mm. I don't know how many times I had this conversation internally talking to the the people that are creating a system or creating a portal or or just a site or any kind of tool uh, that's going to go that's going to go in front of a customer and everyone will tell me yeah do it like that I know the customer I know exactly what they need Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Have you talked to them? <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I haven't talked to them, but believe me, I've been dealing with them for years. I know exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, uh, that assumption that you understand the user, or even worse, the assumption that your perspective and your opinions matter more than the users or your customers in that case. It's uh, the biggest mistake I can, uh, I can name. And it's probably the one that I saw the most uh, since I started. The second one is the, the it, it comes along with the first one, but it's the idea that you fall in love with your own idea. You know, <laughs> a lot of people that I know in, in especially here in IT uh, build a solution and it doesn't matter if the solution is good or if it's bad, if it solves the problem or not, people tend to fall in love with that idea with their baby And then they see any kind of user feedback as a personal attack on them. So you start; they start defending the solution instead of looking at the feedback and taking in the feedback as here's something we can actually use to make it better. It's usually like, no, 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 this is not right. This is just a perception. That's Mm -hmm. not the real issue. The real issue is something else. And I had the phrase that uh, perception is reality.
0: Yep. Yep. And, and
2: it is like, hey, I don't care what people think they, they, they know for sure. But if your user perceives something in a certain way, that's their personal reality. Mm-hmm. And if you have enough users perceiving the same thing the same way, <laughs> believe me, that reality, their reality is going to come crashing on you and become your reality <laughs>
0: very, very, very soon. That's just reality, reality. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So here's a question then, because, you know, you talked about that. It's like when people talk about the margin of error in polls, you know, it's like, okay, when the margin of error, when the poll says the same thing every time, Mm -hmm. sooner or later, you have to stop talking about the margin of error. (laughs) So, you know, when one person says it, okay. But, you know, when everybody starts saying it, you've got to really accept that reality. So how have you... You know, bridge that gap? How have you been able to sort of take the people that are designing the user experience and get them to be open to that feedback and get them to be open to, hey, this is the experience they're actually having. It's not what we think they're having. This is what they're actually having, and this is how we need to respond.
2: Yeah, it happened in stages. The first stage was to actually uh, uh, convince the people internally that what they thought the user, uh, uh, the user perception was was not exactly the same thing as what they needed. So uh, uh, let me rephrase that. What we, what I did first was bring the concept of uh, prototyping and sketching and wireframing and creating flows of the solution, but doing that early on and presenting to the team internally. Hey, here three different ways that that solution could be better without even trying to go out to your customer to confirm that. And once we can convince them that there are other possibilities beyond the one that they are seeing, and they start seeing the value of the, the solutions that you are bringing, the next stage was actually say, okay, would you like me to actually test that out with your users? And that's usually the, 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 the tipping point. The moment that you get a single user, it doesn't matter if you have, a, you don't need to have 100 users. Mm-hmm. You just need one. The one person that you talk with, that you show the actual design and that you get the real feedback on what they are seeing. And then you provide them with options. There are uh, different ty- different designs or different ways to interact with the same solution. And you see how they react to each one of them and you bring that feedback back uh, to the account managers and the engineers or the the developer, developers that are working on that solution, you start moving people from the position of "Yeah, I I I doubt that I'm wrong that I'm wrong" to "I may be wrong, maybe", <laughs> maybe. to "I'm really 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 totally wrong." <laughs> and by the way, can you help me fix it
0: now? <laughs> well, and I know that uh, <laughs> we've seen people get challenged like that um, early in the process is really critical too. So that's a great point. But one of the things I know about you, Luis, is that you're always reading and looking at what's next and figuring out what we should all care about. Um, so I'm curious, just what are you excited about in user experience? What's next, do you think?
2: Oh, so many things. <laughs> uh, just to get a st- just just to, to start with. Uh, uh, Wearables, Mm -hmm. wearables, like any kind of wearables, the Fitbit, the Apple Watches, the Motorola 360, the Google Glass even. Uh, I actually got one and got that thing didn't work at all. The Google Glass?
0: The Google Glass, Yeah, I I have one too. We should have a yard sale. (laughs) We should.
2: (laughs) But you know what? The the whole concept and the idea of wearables, they are, are... They are, uh, they are just starting to, to crawl, not even walk. Mm -hmm. And, but, but it it is so, the, the potential for change that they bring is huge. You know, having your information, having information from you, from everything that you get all the time, you know, like they say, sensors everywhere. Mm Uh, the, the change that that provides in experience, it's massive. So, okay, how do you interact with a watch? Yes. Trace like You can talk to it, but is that it? Is that the Mm -hmm. only thing? Uh, Are you getting uh, feedback by by sensorial feedback on your hand, saying, "Hey, go left, go right"? How does that change when you have uh, your socks being connected to the internet?
0: (laughs) Your your socks? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Why Why not? Exactly. So basically,
1: the future of customer user experience is George Orwell. (laughs) (laughs) We've we've summed it up.
2: And you combine that with the Internet of Things, where everything is connected to the Internet. Your fridge, you know. So if your sock is a wearable, but uh, uh, you know your closet is also connected to the Internet, and then they may say, "Hey, you need to wash me."
0: Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> wow!
2: A lot of stuff that could be happening, and and is a brave new world.
0: It totally is. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see your part in it because <laughs> I know you'll have some sort of role, but. Uh, oh.
2: We, we 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 are actually playing with a lot of things in here. I joke about that, but we are playing. The, the reason I get I, I had the Google Glass is because we're thinking about how we could uh, monitor the the engineers in a lab that are working in an environment that's so hard to have uh, external people in. So you cannot do it. Graphic studies, Or you cannot follow a shadow anyone inside a lab that's so small with so many difficulty uh, uh equipment and and precise equipment that anyone in there could change the chemistry or change the, the the whole environment. So having something like a Google Glass or HoloLens now uh with Microsoft could be very interesting to actually uh, uh work as uh, uh over the, the over-the-shoulders uh, research.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. could
2: be streaming what they are doing, and we could figure out the better experience for how those engineers can actually work better in the lab environment, or how can we bring, if not laptops, but tablets and phones and systems that they can actually use to improve their work without taking more, uh, adding more clumpiness to their, to their environment.
0: Wow. Well, so much potential. And I knew this would be fun. So thank you for coming on. <laughs> uh, it, it, it reminds me of our work together and our conversations that sometimes went on way too long <laughs> because you and I like to talk about this stuff. So thank you for coming on the show, Luis. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much, Luis. And, uh, if somebody has questions or wants to reach out, how can they find you on the internet?
2: Uh, well, I'm at Louis Serpa on Twitter, or you can go to standing-out.com, which is my blog. It's been kind of outdated for a while. Too much work to do, but it's there. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn uh, as uh, uh Louis Serpa.
0: Great, great. Well, thank you again for coming on and talking to us about all this stuff. Absolutely.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's time for Customer Hero, Customer Zero. And today, our Customer Zero
1: is an entire industry, the cable industry.
0: An entire industry, really?
1: <laughs> yep, the whole shebang.
0: Are they all that bad? Oh, well, no, of
1: course not. But the industry as a whole, obviously... Okay, let's do Let's do a show of hands. Who loves their cable company? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know... Bruce Tempkin, who we had on during our CXPA episode, yeah. he does lots of rankings and research. And, and one of his recent reports of all the industries, he had 20 industries that, uh, you know, he basically did a report on. And the lowest, the worst customer satisfaction was the cable industry or actually Internet service providers. We're just going to call them colloquially cable here because it's a big, <laughs> mi- big mix and mash. now.
0: And I don't think anybody was terribly surprised by that ranking.
1: No, of course not. You know, Comcast got in the brunt of it. And I just wrote a post how uh, customer service can save cables. So I thought this would be an interesting topic because why are they so bad? Well, <laughs> not Comcast. I mean, all of, them, all of them. Why? Why is the whole industry so mm-hmm. bad?
0: Well, and I think to be fair, too, like we are. We've talked to people who are part of these complex organizations, and they are really complex. And what they're delivering is complex. Like we, as the customers, don't often think of that. But it's, it's hard work, like what they're doing with laying cable and satellites and all sorts of things.
1: <laughs> well, right, because there's a technology side and a human side.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: actually, that's sort of what I wrote about. Like the two things, to me, the cable industry has to do to sort of win the future mm-hmm. is one, they have to be at the front of the technology. Yep. Okay, because they're getting, you know they're getting chipped away at hard on the programming side already Totally. I mean, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, all this stuff.
0: Now HBO, HBO Set,
1: Now, HBO Go, whatever now right exactly. So they're getting chipped away on that side. Then they've got satellite
0: mm-hmm. coming,
1: you know, th- that's been around for years and that sort of chipping away and really their biggest technological advantage at this point is sort of controlling the cable. Right? right? They're they're a utility they have no competition in most, in many cases, or the competition we just mentioned, mm-hmm. but they don't have direct competition, like they own the cable, in right. whatever area they're in. So that's, and I'm going to whip out the SAT words, I'd like to Uh-oh. buy a vowel here. oligopoly. right? We talked about that in a previous episode, which is, you know, few competitors or no competitors, they've been able to be profitable mm-hmm. with bad customer service. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and yet, nobody has a choice. That's how they feel. It's like a necessary evil. People are willing to put up with bad service because they don't see another way of getting what they need, getting the service.
1: Right. And I think technology will continue to give options. I mean, you know, it would be one thing if they were the government, the government is always a monopoly. They win. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, it's just, hear that NSA? Matter. Right. I mean, you win. I mean right? You know, unless you are, you know, unless there's an uprising of the people to uh, make the DMV more efficient, right. It's going to yep. basically remain. So, but in this case, you know, technology, there are legitimate threats to cable, you know, maybe not in the next three years or five years, oh, I but over time. Coming. I
0: yeah, think it's absolutely. coming faster than they think, though, because you look at what's happening with some of the content providers now and people are, I mean, really excitedly too, like standing up on social media and saying, guess what? I'm cutting the cord on, you know, June, May 30th or whatever it is that people are really excited about with the. Uh, um, the offerings through HBO and Netflix and everything else—you can do so much that you don't even need it like you used to. And but they'll you're still. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, but you're right. Where if you want internet,
1: <laughs> right? I mean, they'll still own those customers because yes. they got to get the bandwidth now. Right. So, but once that bandwidth starts getting attacked technologically, mm-hmm. once you know. I don't know. know, Mark Cuban comes in and puts a wireless (laughs) router in the middle of downtown Chicago that services 20 square miles and doesn't, you know, make everybody grow a third head. and Mm -hmm. whatever. We will not worry about that until later. (laughs) Yeah, we don't worry (laughs) about that until it's over, you know, or whatever it may be. That's their last competitive advantage is controlling that pipe because the Mm -hmm. programming is just going to continue to get fractured and which I don't necessarily think it's going to be in the best interest of consumers long term.
0: Mm, Because I I I think,
1: well, because here's what's going to happen as it gets more and more fractured, we're going to go to individual channels. They're going to start becoming unbundled right now. I have a million channels I can choose from. They're very expensive to have all of those channels, mm-hmm. but what happens when I have to pay nine bucks for HBO and, and HBO is a premium. So you're already paying for that, but then I got to pay nine bucks for the A and E, right. You know, grouping, they're going to break off into groupings. I mean, who knows where that's going to go. So it could be interesting Choice is Not always, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not always an advantage, but,
0: I have no idea if that will play out that way. But I I do think that what cable is getting really wrong now continues to be customer service.
1: 100%.
0: And it's so well known that expectations are so low. Like people know that, oh gosh, I have to call the cable company. There goes my whole day, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And the fact that our expectations are that low and yet they're still disappointing us, that's where they, I mean, if they focused on that just a little, they couldn't make changes that would really help their business long term. But it feels like it's a lot of talk and it's not actually backing it up with actions. We've heard this before from Comcast. We've heard this before from folks who say we're going to get better at this. And yet they're not. And so as much as I think the content discussion is is you know one issue and one area where people are going to start having more control and more say, the customer service area, they... That's up to them, and they need to just own it and figure out what they're doing because they clearly, they they are antiquated in how they serve customers, and that just comes across in every interaction they have. So yeah. I agree, they're a big fat zero.
1: No, no. no. <laughs> well, I, you know, I hope I've read through what Comcast is doing with their new, and I hope they do well with it because I mean, if they do, if they really execute everything they say, they're definitely going to improve their customer experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's the sort of training side, which and cultural side, which is harder. Yes. But, you know, they're doing a lot with just plain resources. I mean, sometimes it is a structural issue. You can have the best trained reps on earth. If you have one rep to serve every 300 people, it doesn't matter. Right. 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 I mean, some things are purely structural and, you know, having the right resources in place. So hopefully if they can do all that, I mean, the way I look at it is I look at it as like vaccination. Mm -hmm. Okay. They, if they can improve their customer experience now, they can create Customers that don't want to leave, that aren't going to jump at the first chance. I mean, right now, the Mm -hmm. cable industry as a whole has customers that have zero loyalty. Right. They will jump at the first best opportunity Mm
0: -hmm. that comes
1: along. And they do do. all the time. It's, you know, captive customers, once they don't become captive, if you (laughs) treat them like they're captive and they become uncaptive, (laughs) they tend to run away. Mutiny. (laughs)
0: <laughs> is what that's exactly. called
1: <laughs> well it's cool well yeah you know, i and i will say i'm here in florida and we have bright house and i've actually had good experiences with them so yeah, I, they're not all the same but as mm-hmm. a whole the industry is definitely rough and let's hope because right now for many more years they are going to control many of our uh, lives mm-hmm. in many ways so i hope they do better and i hope they improve and i hope comcast's plan gets executed well and i'm i'm positive for the future of this zero
0: I, I am cautiously optimistic. but they That's should, a better
1: term. Yes. They should
0: really call us. They call <laughs> we us. can help.
1: Absolutely. All right. So is that it? I think that's it. Our thanks go out to Touchpoint Dashboard for sponsoring today's podcast. To learn more about how Touchpoint Dashboard can help you understand and transform your customer experience, visit touchpointdashboard.com. That is touchpointdashboard.com.
0: Thank you so much for listening to episode 32 of Crack the Customer Code. I'm Jeannie Walters. Please visit us at 360 connectcom
1: And I'm Adam Deporek, and my website is customersthatstick.com. Find more episodes and all the show notes at crackthecustomercode.com.
0: Please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, we'd love your comments and a review. Please let us know what you like, what we can improve on, or who you would like us to invite as a guest. And please tell someone
1: you know. We love word of mouth. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.